I'm very blessed to have some really brilliant friends, and some of whom are scientists, including theoretical physicists. So it's been great to get the input and also get the support from folks that are just like Rex. This is this is interesting stuff. It's compelling stuff. I'm not sure I can. I you know I've heard, I've heard it, I've heard it said like this. You know, from one theoretical physicist friend of mine. Um, he's he's you know I I right now I don't I don't I don't know what I think about all this. Um, I'm not going to tell you no, and I'm you know my advice is keep exploring it. And, um, and, it, and, even, and it's been a while since we've talked about it with this, this particular individual, but his comment was, I look forward to the next time we talk about it and, and see where it goes. Mm -hmm. So, but this is the type of guy, and I've known him long enough to know that if, he's, if he was going to say, Rex, come on, this is BS, he would have, and he's a very sweet guy. He would have done it in a rude way, but right. he would have he let me know, Rex, okay, here's all the reasons why what you're saying is just wrong. Okay, nobody has yet to do that. So, and, and again, I'm not saying somebody won't at some point come at me like that. But so far, it's been surprising, even for the people that have been shown reluctance, even they're going, you know, keep exploring this. This, this is kind of interesting. <laughs> so hmm. I, I am. I'm feeling very excited that I really have something here, Good. that there's something here that we in. Let's, let's all get together on this. If this resonates to anybody listening to this, let's, let's come together on this. Let's, let's grow this thing. And Please. I guess if you're a scientist who can help me turn this into working theories in the scientific community, let's definitely do this. Absolutely. So we, we started looking at some of those ideas on the last one, which was about eight months ago. Right. Um, we, we're back into it now. That's what's important. So the first question I, I, I had was, well, it's not really a question. It's just, could we have an overview of why um, gravity doesn't fit with the standard model of physics, as we were saying earlier on in the, at the start of the video? Right. And that, that was it. Could we just have kind of just go over again why exactly it doesn't fit? Oh, sure, because um, I know we talked about it quite a bit in the last video. Um, so just real quick, basically, in gravity, my perception of gravity is that it's the, the only thing perhaps more fundamental than gravity in the nature of the existence of a multi-universal reality is consciousness ex itself. That being said, that, that would suggest that gravity existed before the proposed birth of our universe and will exist beyond the supposed death of our universe or the death as we as, as we see it um so as a result gravity was not a force that had to be switched on at some point beyond cosmic inflation as the strong weak and strong and weak nuclear forces did and as electromagnetism did gravity was already inherently part of the existence and part of the development everything from the big bang um, to cosmic inflation, um, to the growth of this entire universe, um, and, and, and even why the universe is now the process of pulling itself apart. And it's, you know, the, the idea of the force of, of dark energy, which I believe is, is actually gravity, but, it's, but it's, an, it's an aspect of gravity we don't yet understand. Because no, this is not anti-gravity or reverse gravity, um, but it's gravity basically working kind of like the movements of water. Gravity can move sort of multiple directions at the same time, even in our matter reality, you know, our physical reality. Look at the way water works. Um, and gravity works and moves and, 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 and you know, we, we see gravitational waves. It's just a matter of time before we recognize gravitational currents. We know gravity, gravity bends and moves and stretches and compresses. We already know this. So um, it's, I, think, I think we cannot eliminate gravity as being dark energy, but just rather looking at it as though we just don't fully understand what gravity really is in, in terms of its connection. So getting back to why it's not part of the theory of everything is because gravity is essentially the reason we have this entire 
multi-universal, multiple realities, infinitely interdimensional existence that goes well beyond what we perceive to be a singular universe. So no, the theory of everything is about, you know, you know, the development of, of what we believe to be our, our, our matter-based universe. And gravity just goes well beyond that. So therefore it does not fit into the theory of everything. Mm -hmm. So essentially gravity existed prior to the Big Bang and prior to the, the existence of matter as we know it. If we're going to look at this, you know, in, in terms of, a, of a, an arrow of time, yes, <laughs> which we are, mm -hmm. of course, we're, we're, we're on it with this, because this, uh, getting into these levels of reality, space, time, you know, gravity is completely different than what we think. It all exists. It's just not what we think it is. But yes, to put it in terms of your question and in terms of more of our uh, of anthropomorphizing and putting it on, on an arrow of time. Yes, gravity exists before the existence, before the, the primordial atom, as it were, you know, exploded into the cosmic in the cosmic inflation due to lack of a better metaphor yeah and just just review the primordial particle is is theorized to be a particle which contains um all the information of a previous universe condensed into a very very small area i, would, which... I wouldn't say previous i would just no. say it just has the information of a universe mm -hmm. um i i mean again I, I guess you could say previous i wouldn't say that's necessarily an inac inaccurate word um, I, I guess I don't, again, in, in this context, I don't think of about it in terms of previous because in, in a manner of speaking, it was suggested it's going to maybe recreate an echo of what it was before, which certainly is one universal possibility, but it also may create something that might be entirely different, even if uh, the, the physics might be similar. It may, it may end up creating something that might be something completely different than what we might even begin to imagine. Um, so what comes out of that, I'll just say the information of that primordial particle is the information, I, I think, maybe more accurately, is the information of the universe to be, rather than not the information of the universe that was. Yes, I mean, there's this ongoing cycle of, uh, of you know, there is a certain oscillating aspect of this. Um, I, when you start looking at it in the grand multi-universal scale, I'm not saying the universe is not an oscillating universe, although it's possible the universe may have oscillated many times before ripping itself apart. Um, but I just want to say that that information, all that information is in that particle. So you're dealing with something that might not have more um, mass, I suppose. I'm getting this, getting, and this level is hard to use or find the right words exactly, mass, volume, because then what is really the volume of an atom? And that's just another conversation unto itself. But the point is, let's think in terms of what we perceive to be the space of an electron right now. Again, got another long conversation. But, but, but in that fundamental particle, you know, which in terms of what most people's thinking of, a, of that particle is so incredibly small compared to our reality, but think of that tiny, tiny, tiny little particle with the information of this entire universal experience. And I don't mean that in a context of a single moment, but I mean that in the context of all space, all time, and all probability and possibility and dimensionality. Again, taking into consideration, we really only, really only perceive and can observe only 3% of this known universe. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, so the second question I had was just um, something that you mentioned in the last one that I haven't actually heard before, which is the um, the theory of the deep freeze or the big rip. Well, I mean, basically, it's literally what the, the name suggests. Shush, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, the, 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 the big rip, basically, I mean, right now, uh, we, we, we can see, we can measure at least with, with our current ability to measure um, that the universe is expanding. We know this. And what's interesting is that expansion, you know, one would think that the expansion should be slowing down, especially if we're in some sort of an oscillating space uh, uh, of a universal existence. 
But the thing is, it's not. This expansion is increasing. Um, so the idea, the current train of thought is, is that at some point, it, this expansion is going to become so vast, it's so huge that the light from galaxies will not reach from galaxy to galaxy. Um, the sky will basically go dark. And over the course of all of this, all the fuel and all the energy that, 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 that drives galac galaxies, uh, galactic clusters, and so on, um, will begin to, to go out. All the all you know, second law of thermodynamics, entropy will run its course. All the energy is going to you know, go back to first law of thermodynamics. It's going to change states. It's going to become something that is no longer a galaxy, no longer stars, no longer planets. It, it's it's all going to it's all going to die out. And and again, in this process, everything getting bigger and bigger. Everything's going to be so far apart that there can really will be pretty much no interaction whatsoever in terms of anything we know to be, you know, our experience now. Light cannot reach at those vast distances. Um, and again, with everything kind of slowly going out, the idea is that the universe is going to, going to kind of pull itself apart. And this idea of, a, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the, the, the deep freeze, too, is that as all these stellar embodiments, you know, run of energy, you know, the temperature is going to continue to go down uh, to the point where once there is no more perceived energy it's been suggested that even black holes will evaporate in this environment and cease to exist and everything will just basically go back to a state of absolute zero and, and if you know um, absolute zero basically represents a space where there is absolutely no energetic movement whatsoever mm -hmm. Okay, so, so meaning there's no atoms, no atomic structures, there's, there's essentially nothing whatsoever that we can identify with. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's essentially just the name of that process, which... Um, yes. Yeah. So okay. so it's been suggested that this is the fate of the universe, that it's going to reach a point where it's going to be, everything's going to be so far apart, that light can't reach anything anymore, it's all going to die out, it's going to, you know, run its course, energy is going to, you know, you know, there'll be no more energy to refuel new stars, it's all just going to die out, and eventually it's going to go back to absolute zero, and existence as we know it just won't exist. So mm -hmm. that is the current thinking. Sure. And it would certainly make sense knowing, as you say, the rate of expansion and the apparent ongoing nature of it. But if we start to apply this to an idea of a multi-universal existence and all of a sudden you have to look at that and go, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> that state might exist, but it's not going to be a permanent state. So mm -hmm. the thinking right now is when that state happens, it's going to be a permanent state. Um, no more oscillations, no more anything that we can identify with. So this is where I suggest gravity, the workings of gravity going beyond the existence of our universe, just our, you know, just what we perceive to be our 13.8 billion year old universe comes into play. First of all, I'm going to disagree with something that some of the most brilliant minds in history have said. Um, the suggestion that black holes is the, the, the remaining singularity that's left over from, from a black hole um, and that's, of course, still theory right now. What's at the nobody really knows for sure what's at the center of a black hole. But mm -hmm. right now, the, the belief, and this is what resonates to me as well, that there's there's a singularity taking in this information. Um, you know, all the material from all the you know stars surrounding stars, or or whatever whatever is surrounding that's being taken into that light. You know, of course, being among those things being taken in by that black hole, um, all being thrust into a into a singularity. And, and, and this particular part of my idea is not, not original. This, this has been suggested. Um, and this is something that resonates to me. I feel like this, 
this singular, there's just no way you're going to convince me that this singularity, once the rest of the universe, and I can see, yes, okay, galaxies are going to die, all which is alive does die. Galaxies, universe as we know, it's going to die. So basically, after all the energy, you know, that energy dissipates and dies, you still have this super, super dense, I mean, crazy, crazy, super dense, super, 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 super heated singularity that's left over. So first of all, it sounds kind of familiar. It sounds the, like a lot of the way a lot of cosmologists will describe the primordial particle um, uh, of, the, of that, that is essentially the seeding of our current universe. It seems to me such a singularity isn't just going to evaporate away. I don't believe, I, I mean, you're dealing with such a force and such, such, a, you know, such a, an interaction of gravitational forces taking place here. Um, I don't think that part of space of you will can hit absolute zero. And if we're looking at a multi-universal existence taking place, then we're looking at even on these vast, vast expanses of what cosmologists refer to as the bulk or, or hyperspace, I'm just going to call it space because I don't see it as being really any different at, at this level. Um, movement is still taking place. If you want to think about the movement of a multiverse, think about a, a kaleidoscope with no center. Mm -hmm. You've watched a kaleidoscope move. You looked into those little things as kids. I have. And I have. Now think about that, but think about that with no center. Mm-hmm. All those movements, all those colors and patterns that are, you know, morphing into something, condensing down into something, and out of that comes a, a bunch of brand new sets of colors and patterns that expand and grow into something else, and they might contract and expand a few times before they grow and oscillate into something beyond that, into a whole other set of colors and patterns. Mm -hmm. I see a multiverse acting something like that. I also see this multiverse acting in, in a toroidal fashion, as in the torus. Uh, Nassim Haramein and other cosmologists talk about the torus, as in T-O-R-U-S, not the, 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 the uh, zodiac sign. Now, the torus, basically, and this is kind of more my definition of it as I've explored it, the, the idea of a torus is a self-perpetuating energy. I mean, even the first law of thermodynamics, part of that first law is that, you know, energy cannot be created nor destroyed. Energy the amount of energy always remains the same, okay? Yep. That's the first law of thermodynamics. You know, energy is always changing states. So this is what's happening on this level. Energy is simply moving and changing and condensing and growing and evolving in all kinds of states of consciousness, all kinds of states of experiential reality, all kinds of states of these, of interdimensionality of these universal possibilities, not unlike how we may perceive the universal possibilities of our own lives. Mm -hmm. So all of this information exists in these cosmological singularities left over by black holes. I think there's other reasons why these singularities can be created is when you start to imagine the possibilities of everything moving on this kaleidoscopic toroidal fashion. You, you put this torus together with a kaleidoscope and, 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 and the idea of the self-perpetuating energy is the way this energy moves. On the one hand, hand is being expended, but the expenditure and the release of that energy is also the fuel of the movement of this new energy mm -hmm. in a very basic sense. So when you combine that all together, you, you see this constantly oscillating, moving, multi-universal existence where you have infinite universal possibilities happening all the time at the same time, but at the same time spread out over 
perhaps a Googleplex of years of, of existence, mm -hmm. a Googleplex to the Googleplex, <laughs> if you yeah. will. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if we want to try to quantify this, which at these levels, we're talking about ideas of zeros of, uh, I love this conversation of zeros and infinities. And maybe we should have that conversation sometime because it ties into everything we're talking about. Um, but you're dealing with things on an incredibly astronomical, vast scale beyond which most you know mathematicians, even the most brilliant mathematicians even begin to endeavor into. I mean, yet this is part of the experiential form of our existence. It does go out to these expanses. And this is, you know, this is, this is consciousness at work. This is all part of that divine being, the source that is the, the oneness of it all with which we are all a part, endeavoring to understand itself. For such a being to be all-knowing, you know, to, to be the all, as it were, it has to be the experience of the all. And that all encompasses everything we can even begin to, ima begin to imagine and, and, and everything that goes well beyond anything we might be able to perceive in our, in our current human imagination. I mean, the vastness is just incredible. And this is gravity at work. This is just the, the movement of all of this. This is all space-time gravity. Now, and I'm going to put it like this, you have to have a space-time. I mean, space cannot work without the movement of time. Time cannot work without having space to facilitate that movement. And basically, the framework of all of that is gravity. Only this is not just a framework that is our own universal existence, but this is a framework of this vast, incredibly expansive, multi-universal existence that I'm attempting to describe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. I, I like to kind of try and visualize what, what you say. It's difficult to get a well, great picture. Well, one of these times, if I can, we should maybe, if we, I don't know, we, I, we could do this on Zoom. Mm -hmm. Maybe let me do a presentation for Gravity. Sure. And I can, I can, I can include my, all my pictures, all my slides. I could put, I have got, you know, and I also outline when I'm talking, I put bullet points up so people can follow along and, and, and keep, keep, and keep in time with what I'm saying. And especially if I happen to get maybe ahead of something, they still have something they can look at to reference back to something else I was talking about. Plus my presentations tend to be rather visual. They even include a couple of, of, of videos that I can use to help give people this visual that I'm explaining. The nice thing about when I gave that presentation to the Society, to the society of Scientific Exploration is that I was able to give them that visual part of this description, which I think helped immensely. And I think that's one of the reasons they got so excited about this, because not only because they hear me talking about it, but I, could, I was able to give them a visual of what I'm explaining. Yeah, I think that would be useful. Okay, well, we could do that as, as a part three to this then. Great. Would be ideal. That sounds wonderful. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll set that up for next time. Let's go through, I've got just a couple more questions. One of them you kind of partially answered. Uh, we'll start with that one, which is, could you just give kind of a quick review of your, your water analogy of gravity? We've touched on it, but just to get kind of a more, as I say, a more visual idea of how the two are similar. Sure. Um, one of the things that happened when we first discovered gravitational waves and I know probably for a lot of us, you know, sort of, sort of nerdy types that are into this, <laughs> um, we certainly got excited. And, and for me, I, I again, I, I knew an epiphany about gravity was coming. I, I this is crazy. I'm not claiming to be, you know, uh, Sir Isaac Newton by any stretch, but at the same time, the, the, the connection of his story of the idea of an apple falling out of a tree, hitting him in the head, helped him sort of have this epiphany about gravity. Um, ironically, me falling out of a tree and landing <laughs> head first. Um, but I, I, I'm not trying to make light of that, but, but 
but I, as I've had a feeling for years, something about gravity, there, the reason, there is a reason for this, and there was also a reason beyond uh, kind of the long-running joke of me referring to my experiment gravity you know, as a reference to the fall from the tree as becoming the title to my book, and I knew there was going to come up a time where this thing about gravity was going to get bigger than that for me. And I've had an affinity for gravity for some time, and I remember um, – um, somebody uh, that somebody really brilliant years ago I was talking to about this. She was saying to me, you know, gravity to me is um, it's very heavy. It weighs you down. It's, it has a darkness to me. And it, you know, it, there's something just negative about gravity. And I'm thinking to myself, and I didn't have an answer for her at the time. I know. And she's somebody who to me is, she's, she's a super brilliant person and, and a spiritualist. So I took what she said to heart. I, you know, I certainly was thinking about it and it, I didn't say anything, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a comment for her for, for that comment at the time. But I remember thinking to myself, you know, I don't, I just don't feel like gravity is dark. And I, I get what she's saying. Yes, I, she's right. But at the same time, I felt like, you know, there's something really just so much more to this because I felt like gravity, I don't know. I felt like I embraced gravity somehow. And so with gravity, this whole idea of gravitational, gravitational waves was discovered. It really got me to thinking. And I started doing what I do. I go into my meditational states that I go into, and I just go go what I just say, kind of kind of traveling, if you will. I don't really do out of body in a classic sense of what people think of as out of body. It's all just just moving at the speed of thought. But anyways, I'm in this space. I'm I'm contemplating this, and of course, like most people, I'm thinking in terms of gravitational waves, and I'm thinking about, you know, electromagnetism, like light waves. And then I'm thinking, you know, somebody who loves music. I'm thinking in terms of sound waves. I'm like, hmm trying to make connections here what am i missing what am i missing and it hits me water waves gravity and water are not the same things but i think the way they behave is very very similar so if we're going to look at gravitational waves and thinking in terms of what does that mean i think we need to get away from the idea of electromagnetism and sound and those types of waves and that type of behavior and start thinking in terms of the behavior of water so what i mean by this a couple of things First of all, and, and I think this is just a matter of time, and we already know there's going to be like gravitational lensing and, you know, things that bend and move gravity and move and bend space-time, and uh, we, we, we already can even see it on Earth. Gravity, space-time, I mean, it's not consistent across the entire planet, um, even in that little tiny space of it. So, um, Sorry, what was the question again? Gosh, I'm it was sorry, uh, just. Sorry, I've just had a, a rough few days. I've had like, <laughs> sorry, forgive me, man. Sorry, that's not a problem. Um, it was just a review of the water analogy of gravity. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, so, so looking into the depths of space, a. So the two. This is a two-parter here, and, and there's a lot more to this, but I'm just going to do this in just two parts for right now. So looking into the depths of space, especially anything when you talk about not just between, say, stars inside of a galaxy, but start getting into the depths of space between galaxies. And, and, and even more to the point, as, a, as, as the universe continues to expand, thinking of the energy going on into the depths of space in this, you know, in the expanses of, of the vast distances potentially between galaxies, um, it's even been suggested already from cosmologists and astrophysicists that that's really where the, most, the greatest concentrations of energy actually exist. There's actually more energy there in what we consider to be the void than there is in a, in a galaxy. That this is what's taking place in the energy, you know, um, the movements of, of, of an entire galactic existence. And that's a really powerful thought. That gets into the concept of dark energy. And it gets into ideas of so many things that we can't yet even begin to observe and imagine that are always taking place. It's always still part of, of the fundamental reality. So I think it's just a matter of time before we really discover 
movements of gravity in these vast expanses of space. Now, this is where it's going to get really, that, 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 sorry, the vast expanses of space that are going to be just like water waves, currents of the ocean. You know, think of the depths of the Pacific Ocean, you know, the Marianas Trench and the way water is moves and all these different currents and flows and how it all works together. And, and the synchronicities involved, you know, to create the health and vibrancy of, the, of these ecosystems. Uh, um, gravity is very much the same way in, 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 in playing its key role in the vibrancy of, of, of the ecosystem of, of, of stellar existence or interstellar existence. Um, but this also accounts also for, for what's called of, of quantum gravity as well. We know that, it, that an atom, for example, is 99.99% .99 space. And there's a lot of ideas. Nobody has a 100% completely agreed upon idea as to what it is that keeps an electron um, connected, if you will, or working with the proton to create, say, a hydrogen atom or an iron atom or any kind of an atom. You know, it's been suggested that maybe it's electromagnetism. Maybe it could do with a strong and weak nuclear force. Um, the strong nuclear force, of course, I think is what's, you know, associated with what holds together the nucleus of an atom with the proton and neutron. Um, but it's still fairly nebulous as to what it is that holds the atom itself together. The atom is mostly space. I'm going to say that as we discover and we start to observe on these, on these more micro, at the same time, more macro, super macro levels, we're going to realize that these gravitational currents also work in the contents of the space of an atom. And it's an, that's a conversation we, conversation we should have another time because mm -hmm. there's really a lot to what is an atom? What is, what, what is an electron? What does that really mean in terms of the information and, and, and what its relationship to the universe actually is? Mm -hmm. So there's that element of it. So the other part of this too, getting into why, and, and, and this also elaborates a little bit more on, on, on why gravity I think is also dark energy and why it is also part of why the universe is now pull, pulling apart at an ever faster rate. And I will cover an entire universal existence from the, from, from the primordial particle to the, to the big rip in my, in my, uh, in my, in my presentation, I'm going to explain this whole thing. Mm -hmm. So if you don't understand this for this little snippet right here, um, I will elaborate in part three, yeah. um, when I can give you visuals, but simply think about, and this also explains why, as the universe is expanding, why galactic clusters are still holding together, why galaxies are still holding together, uh, why different aspects of the universe still are clearly, as you look at the universal neural net, are still holding itself together. You know, there's dark, of course, questions of dark matter. Again, this is all related and connected to gravity. Um, and, and we don't begin to have the time right the second to dive into the nooks and crannies of this. But I just want to give this one analogy, getting into water. Um, if you're sitting on a beach, and I think you and I maybe have talked about this. Maybe I said this in the last um, uh, part one. I may have yep. given this analogy, um, yep. but I'll, we'll I'll do, do it, it again. again. Mm -hmm. um, we're sitting on sitting on a beach, on, on an, preferably with an ocean, when you've got, you know, at least say say four or five six foot waves that are crashing in on the beach. Um, of course, when you look out over the ocean, you can see that, you know, even if you got six foot waves crashing in, it's not to say that they're all six feet, there's varying sizes of the waves that are coming in. And within those waves, you see ripples and movements in those waves. And within those waves, there's more and more ripples and movements right on down to some very, pretty much down to the molecular level. Now watching those waves crash up onto the ocean beach, you'll watch like one layer of water rush up the beach and then it rushes right back down into the, into the water, right? Back mm -hmm. to the ocean. Now, if you're really paying attention, you realize it's not just one of those lapping up over the beach. It's this, this, you know, even just take the space of say a hundred feet or, or I don't know, I, I know I'm, I'm an American, so I'm using feet. So let's <laughs> just even say, I don't know, 30 meters or something like that. 
um, um, but in that space, you can see where the, you know, the water is lapping up, you know, coming up to the beach pretty high on one side, another area, the water is going back down, another area is coming, water is coming back up, another area is going back down, mm -hmm. right? And this is all going on just even in that very small space of a beach. Yeah, constant ebb and flow. Now, if you're looking even closer, no more closely at the water, you can watch the water, one layer of water coming in is, 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 is water literally moves underneath. Yeah. You can see it. Mm -hmm. I've seen it. I've watched it many times. And water goes underneath that water. It's an incredible thing about water, how we can do that. One layer of water is coming in, but there's water moving out right at the same time. Of course, as you're out into the, if you're a little, a few feet out into the, you know, away from the beach into the water, that's called an undertow. And that water that's moving underneath the water might grab you and pull you under and, and take you out, you know, little ways yep. out into the sea, out to sea, so to speak. Um, I've actually had that happen before, and it can be very disconcerting. And I'm sure. it's amazing how fast <laughs> you can find yourself like 100 yards from shore. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but, but, but water is even more dynamic than that. Those layers, there's multiple layers going on. And all we're doing is, all I'm explaining is what I can see was just, just with, my, with my human eyes. You know this is going on right down to molecular levels. And if you want to start start thinking about this, you know, gravity moving like that, you know, this is the, so think about a galactic cluster or, 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 or a galaxy itself is, 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 those, is those areas where gravity is moving in, okay? Those areas, that's a part of gravity that's still moving in, it's still, doing the work to continue to facilitate the creation of this galactic structure, all the things that it needs to facilitate all the chemical process that take place to continue its life process. Um, it's a reason why such a structure can still hold together while the rest of the structure is in fact falling itself apart. So you've got, you know, much like water, aspects of this gravity that's that's you know that's waving in into these galaxies and galactic structures and stellar structures, you know, meaning solar systems and such. Well, at the same time, you've got also these layers of gravity that are moving away, and these layers of gravity that are moving away are taking these bodies that are being held together and pulling them apart from right. each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? That makes sense, yeah. Okay, cool. So, again, this is something that when we do the presentation part of it, I'll, I'll, I'll mm -hmm. delve into this because I'm going to take part of my presentation is I, I, I go through the entire universal life, life cycle as I see it is my ideas and i will explain even where supermassive black holes come from and the contents of, of that initial cosmic inflation that 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 superheated ultra dense ball of plasma that is still so hot that no form of atomic development has begun to take place yet i'm going to explain what's going on inside of that and why that gives way to um, the earliest forms of stellar and galactic embodiments mm -hmm. and also supermassive black holes I think certainly having the imagery to go along with it will help with the understanding yes. for, for many people. But um, you actually touched on the last question I had, which was just to give a brief overview again on the nature of plasma. Well, plasma is actually all around us. I mean, we have, you know, plasma TVs and I mean, it's, it's a part of our reality all over the place. Plasma is at the heart of our sun. Um, and plasma is also, you know, essentially the, the, the most core fundamental building block of our universe. I don't think anybody yet really, this plasma is something that nobody, even the, the, again, scientists are still figuring out plasma. Um, and, and I think uh, there's a lot to, lot to it. Um, the, this, the short answer for now, I think, is you know, plasma, the cool thing to me about plasma, the fascinating thing, is that plasma can be harder than any solid. It can be more liquid than any liquid. <laughs> And, and, and as gaseous as any gas, it is all of those things. And plasma being essentially what was the first, I don't know what you want to call it, substance 
of, of our sort of embryonic stage of universal growth, it's still, I mean, it's, uh, I forget the, the terminology for it, but there's, there's a, science, a type of, uh, of um, sort of a telescopic observation we can do, and, and the term is escaping, right now, escaping me right now, but we can deduce that the, the plasma existence that still exists throughout, I mean, the, 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 the glow from the Big Bang itself, this plasma glow from the Big Bang itself can still be measured throughout the expanse of our known universe, in varying mm -hmm. degrees, of course, but it's still there. That cosmic uh, radiation. It, it is it's that cosmic that's background that's radiation. Yeah, that's that's based in plasma. That's that's the core. Um, that's that's like the, the, the remaining core uh, of that of, of of cosmic inflation. That's that's that that the, the, what I think cosmologists call the afterglow of the of cosmic inflation. Um, that's that they can still be measured even now. Um, and I and I feel like that's plasma. This is all again very much theoretical. There's you know this, this is nobody. No, this is not like it's being this part of it. I think is being discussed much in science. This is a lot of just me throwing ideas out there. Um, but think about it like this: plasma existed before electromagnetism, which suggests to me plasma is also something that likely exists on a multi-universal on a multi-universal scale. Okay, which suggests that plasma doesn't necessarily follow the cosmic speed limits that light has in place for our matter-based reality. So getting a little, kind of deviating a little bit, um, I feel like when a time comes when we figure out how to travel faster than light, because obviously that's what's going to have to happen if we're even going to go to Alpha Centauri, which is just, a, what, four light years away from, from here sure. without having it to be a multi-years long journey. I mean, even at light speed, it's still a four-year journey. Um, so the idea of faster than light speed, I think, may come in this level of plasma reality, uh, this plasma level of, and again, it's, it's, well, it's tough to explain because people are like, no, we've got plasma TVs, plasma exists on, <laughs> on, on this physical, it does. But it all, <laughs> this is the crazy thing about plasma is that it's so incredibly dynamic <laughs> yeah. that, it, that it's a part of everything, you know, in, in, in a way that I think the faster than, when we figure out faster than light speed, it's gonna be, it's gonna come from our understanding of of this this cosmic afterglow because if there's anything in the universe that can move faster than light it's plasma yeah and that's why it's used a lot in science fiction isn't it as uh, yes. plasma engines and things like that yes that's the base idea it, it, it sure is you know and i think you know getting in this idea of creating a warp bubble um that happens that you see like in star trek um i think it's a great yeah. idea but i think we're going to find it based in plasma this whole idea of of what they call um oh, God, I'm, I, I'm so bad at remembering terminology sometimes but um um, some of the some of the alternate universes they created, like a Star Trek Voyager, like liquid space, um, and there's another one too that was really cool that I can't think of right now. But I think a lot of this, you know, again the idea of subspace, um, getting this warp bubble, I think is 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 going to be connected somehow to plasma. This idea of liquid space, who's to say that this isn't a plasma-based space? Because again, as I said, uh, plasma can be more liquid than any liquid. So who's to say that this liquid space isn't still plasma? Um, but I think. When we move forward, the the the, the un unlocking the key to faster than light travel might might be in this plasma space, um, and then getting back to plasma being you know part of the supermassive, uh, like the birth of supermassive black holes. You have to think that even though everything in this initial cosmic inflation would have been dense beyond anything we can fathom. I mean, this is a level of density that goes well beyond the center of our sun, which is well beyond lead or anything else. Um, but it's, it's kind of hard to imagine. And one thing, I, I'll, one analogy I'll use in my in my presentation is a glacier. Of course, the glaciers move very slowly, but glaciers are extremely hard. Um, if you ever, I've never stood on a glacier, but if you stand in one, you're not going to fall through. They're like ice, they're harder than mm -hmm. ice, basically. Mm -hmm. Yet glaciers move with the malleability of a river. They might move very slowly, but they have the malleability of a liquid. 
if you ever watch a glacier move, you know, that's been done in time-lapse photography or time-lapse video, they move very fluidly. There's no like stops. There's no, you know, stop start or stuttered kind of motion with a glacier. It's, it's very fluid looking when you see it move, when you see that movement sped up. And I'm thinking, you know, we're dealing with something in that, in that initial cosmic inflation, um, that initial ball of plasma, that first embryonic state uh, of our universal development is being incredibly dense, but it's also incredibly dynamic. And what I'm saying about that is there's the movements taking place inside that, that, that ball of plasma, are, I think are extremely detailed and, and no doubt are traveling faster than light. It is all happening. Of course, you know, when cosmologists describe this process, it's all happening at like microns of a second. This whole part of the universal growth took place in a, in a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a second. And it would make sense that all these dynamics are taking place at faster than light speeds. So you have to think, with all that pressure going on, that's certainly pushing this ball outward and outward and outward as it's getting ready to give way to the next phase of, 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 of cosmic growth. In that, the pressures must be so great as to create something like a black hole inside that cosmic ball. Even before we've reached the point of, of having stars and galaxies, those initial supermassive black holes, I think, were already forming even within that galactic, uh, that, that initial cosmic, um, that cosmic ball of inflation, cosmic ball of cosmic inflation. Sorry, I'm mixing my words up here. So um, that kind of gives you a little bit of an idea. So when you start seeing that kind of dynamism taking place within that 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 plasma ball, you sort of give yourself an idea, you know, a little bit of a visual as to why it is that it, that 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 point that despite the force of gravity holding it down. Um, it still has enough force to continue to force its way out to the point where something finally switched, where all of a sudden the universe was, was, was struggling to try to hold itself together as gravity now is pulling it apart at ever faster rates, where gravity's you know, sort of assumed control and said, okay, now it's my turn. I'm just going to pull you apart now. But this is the point with which it's all very, very powerfully held together. And, and, and you know the, the density and the and mass and that density is so incredibly great that those gravitational pressures are are, are, are beyond comprehension. But yet, the, the the energetic movements inside this ball of plasma, the, this, this, the initial cosmic inflation is so intense, it's working against that to the point where it's still forcing a growth of this early universal stage, this early early universal life cycle, if you will. So again, I mean, we'll we'll grow, we'll expand on that even more and more. But I mean, you think as soon as those first supermassive black holes start becoming formed, um, as as this ball continues to expand out, eventually the first cracks, which we might you know define as to us in this day and age as space, start to form. And I think now at this point things are cooling off enough, or maybe this is where we're starting to see electromagnetism starting to assert itself, the strong and weak nuclear forces beginning to assert themselves. And with this, the formation of the first atomic structures like, like, like helium and hydrogen, you know, that's beginning to happen as it's starting to push out. So the dynamism is now continuing to increase even more until eventually you've got enough expansion and enough cracks in space, or maybe the first early versions of a star might get formed. Early versions of some kind of a system may be formed. And now, of course, then the cycle begins because that star goes through its life cycle. It dies, leaves the, the, the chemically enriched guts of the next phase of development as this cosmic inflation continues to grow and grow and grow until it starts to look like an early form of a universe with which we can more identify with as being our current universe. So have I my understanding this right? So kind of this is explaining how the Big Bang may have occurred from a, an initial state of, of solid plasma. 
Absolutely, yes. That's where I'm going, And as that begins to cool, um, cracks begin to appear in which um, this plasma is able to begin to form the basis of matter. Yeah. And as it cools and cools and cools, more and more and more matter is created, which causes your cosmic inflation as it begins to develop. Well, and eventually, yeah, and eventually this moves beyond that cosmic inflation, uh, that state of cosmic inflation. It starts to look a little bit more like the first examples of galactic star formation, yeah. which would have been, you know, which we are now, some cosmologists say our star is a third generation star. That's a theory, of course, but that would suggest that these would be the first generations of those stars, the, the, the what we could, some cosmologists call proto-stars and maybe the early proto-galaxies. I see. Okay, well, that, I mean, covers all the questions I had. Probably if we leave this part here and then carry on with your actual presentation in part three. Let's do that. And, and, I'll, and um, the presentation, it might be a couple of hours. That, that's something I won't want to rush because one thing I'm going to do in the presentation, if it's okay with you, is um, I'm going to do it like I've never presented this to you before or to the audience that's listening to this. They're going to just hear it from the ground floor up. Um, I think that's the best way to do this presentation. And also, too, it'll give me the opportunity to, of course, expand upon a lot of the things that we've been talking about. And yes, I, I would also recommend, too, for anybody that's listening to this and interested, um, just go ahead and send in questions, you know, and a lot of those questions will probably tie into my presentation somewhere. And when I'm in a spot in the presentation where I can address a question that we have, then, then I'll go ahead and do so.